I've been watching the serial Wednesday on Netflix and seeing its broken records for the most watched thing ever on Netflix, I, I guess many of you have as well. For those unfamiliar, it's about Wednesday, who is the girl in the Adams family, as a 15 and 16 year old. It's based on the dark humour of the Adams family in all their iterations over the years. I loved the new series and I tried to work out why I liked it so much. And I realised 15 year old me actually had quite a lot in common with 15 year old Wednesday. I mean, some important differences too. I skipped the serial killer vibes that they mentioned, but I could relate to some particular aspects of Wednesday's character. One of her characteristics is that Wednesday has a very dark view of the world. She says she sees the world through a darker lens. At her age, I was just at the start of my long journey to become a Christian, and I also had a pretty dark view of the world, quite negative, often cynical, sometimes still am, so I could relate. As we become Christians, we naturally develop a much more positive attitude, don't we? After all, we're saved through Jesus, we have his spirit in us, enlivening our spirit with a new heightened awareness of the richness of eternal life. It's previewed in us already, and we have a sure hope of eternity with God in his glory. Of course we are positive. How could we not be? We see the beauty and goodness that's in God's world, partly through God's own spirit in us. And we may lose sight of just how dark the world around us actually is. Those who are blessed to be born in Christ, into Christian families may, perhaps may never gain the same understanding of the darkness of this world. The Bible tells us we Christians are saved out of darkness into light. Wednesday is right. The world actually is dark. And Jesus came to save us from it. That's illustrated in a prophecy in Isaiah that's one of the main passages foretelling the role of the Christ. Isaiah starts talking about God's chosen nation of Israel, and Steve's going to read that for us now. Reading from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21, through chapter 9, verse 7. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward, will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times, when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will bring honour to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the, the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor just as you did on the day of Median. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom, 
to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Our second reading is from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. God's light into, so it's clear that Jesus brings God's light into a world that is actually quite dark. <coughs> but we mustn't make the mistake of thinking light and darkness are equal and opposite powers. Pop culture presents it that way, doesn't it? And it's wrong. The Bible does not present light and darkness as equal powers. They're opposites, yes. Equal, no. This is not like in Star Wars where there's a powerful dark side of the force fighting against a powerful light side of the force, the Sith against the Jedi. It's not like in Harry Potter where Harry can scarcely defeat Voldemort and needs a lot of help and more than a few plot conveniences and luck to do so. And it's not like most superhero movies where the good and the bad forces are both powerful and closely matched. No, the Bible does not present light and darkness as equal. The idea goes back much further. The idea of equal and opposite good and evil goes back centuries, millennia. You can find it in the ancient Persian religion of Zarathustra, also called Zoroaster, in the 6th century BC. You'll find it in the philosophy of Plato in Greece in the 4th century BC. You'll find some, something of it in ancient religion in India. No, darkness is not an equal and opposite power to light. Evil and good do not fight on equal terms in the real world. Darkness is a lack of light. It's an emptiness. It's a void. It's how we describe when light is not present. God is a creator. Satan is merely a destroyer. According to the New Bible Dictionary, the Hebrew word we translate as evil, and I quote, comes from a root meaning to spoil, to break into pieces, being broken and so being made worthless. The word binds together the evil deed and its consequences, end quote. Think of a petulant child who can't have a particular toy, so smashes another toy out of spite. Or, if you know your Lord of the Rings from the books rather than the movie, uh, a brilliant example is where Saruman is defeated and then he sneaks off to the, sh to the Shire to destroy it and enslave the hobbits just out of spite. He has lost, he is defeated, but he just wants to destroy stuff out of some sort of petty vengeance. Jesus brings God's light into a dark world that is lost. Satan has power, but only as much power as God allows. The opening two chapters of the book of Job make that abundantly clear. In the first round of the contest, in chapter 1, we read this. <clears throat> Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he, Job, owns is in your power. 
However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. And the second round in chapter 2, very well, the Lord told Satan, he is in your power, only spare his life. Satan only has as much power as God allows him to have. God is very clearly in charge. <clears throat> Satan is a fallen heavenly being. In Luke 10 verse 18, Jesus tells his disciples, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. We can deduce that he was created by God but rebelled. And he may be the ruler of this world for the present time, but he is no match for God, even if he might like to give that impression. Jesus called Satan a liar and the father of lies in John 8, 44. Jesus calls him the prince of this world, not the king. God is the king. And Satan, for all his power and show, is a mere prince who remains under the control of the king. Darkness and light are not equal powers in the real world. Satan's greatest weapon, death and fear of death, was defeated by Jesus on the cross. And Satan and his forces are bent on ruining what they can while their remaining power lasts. They are dangerous, make no mistake. But they are defeated and destroying out of hate. That is the dark world around us. A spiritual battleground where evil is doing what damage it can out of vengeful spite in defeat. And people who live in that world without Jesus are lost and in danger. Now if that's all a bit metaphysical, let's bring it down to an individual person. For a person, what is the opposite of light? In many Bible passages, the opposite of light isn't so much darkness as blindness. We can see in the light, without it we are blind. Jesus didn't only come to defeat Satan, but he came to bring God's light into people's lives, to heal their blindness to God. And we start hearing about this way back in Isaiah 42. <coughs> Pardon me. No, my voice will last an entire sermon. Isaiah chapter 42 in verse 16. I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on paths they have not known. I will turn darkness to light in front of them and rough places into level ground. This is what I will do for them and I will not abandon them. As Christians, we often describe Jesus as the light of the world. It's one of his great I am sayings in John's Gospel. But curiously, he doesn't actually say it very often. Just two or three times, depending on how you count. And in every case... He says it in reference to blindness, not darkness in general, but spiritual or physical blindness. One place Jesus calls himself the light of the world is in John chapter 9. I'll read the first part. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spat on the ground, made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed and came back seeing. I love this guy, this, guy, this blind man who was healed. All of John chapter 9 is focused on him. 
there's a lot of Wednesday in him actually. He has no respect for authority when it's in the wrong and he stands up solidly for the truth even in the face of ridicule and unbelief. He bluntly tells the Pharisees that Jesus must be from God or else he wouldn't be able to give sight to a man who was born blind. Seriously, go and read chapter 9 later. It's uh, quite entertaining. <laughs> At the end of the chapter, Jesus finds the man again and from verse 39 says this. I came into the world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. The healed man had been physically blind, but the Pharisees who claimed to know God were actually spiritually blind. That's the point Jesus is making to them. Spiritual blindness is willful darkness. It is a choice to reject Jesus, the light of the world, and instead to live lost in the darkness that's just an empty absence of light. What led the Pharisees to make that choice? Perhaps love of power and the wealth it brought? Or wanting to rule over others? Or wanting to appear better than others? Maybe simple pride? The same sort of things that lead people today to choose willful darkness, spiritual blindness, rejecting Jesus, the light of the world. Another time that Jesus calls himself the light of the world happens just beforehand in John chapter 8. From verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. And what follows from that is a long arcane debate about Jesus testifying about who he is. The Jews needed two witnesses to believe someone's testimony, and they reckon Jesus only had one witness, that is, himself. But why were they tying themselves up in knots about Jesus' testimony? Two reasons. Firstly, he said, I am, which is how God referred to himself. And secondly, they recognised he was claiming to be the Messiah, the Christ, when he called himself the light of the world. The Pharisees knew their scriptures inside out, but they only had our Old Testament, of course. So what would have sprung to their minds when Jesus called himself the light of the world? It was probably a passage like Isaiah 42 from verse 6. This is God the Father talking about Jesus. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people. Jesus made the new covenant, remember? And a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes and bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. Or they may have thought of what was accepted as a Messiah prophecy in Isaiah 49, verse 6. It is not enough for you to be my servant raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. When Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, the Pharisees recognised that as a claim to be the Christ. That's why they were so fussed about whether or not his testimony was valid. They were judging Jesus by their own human rules and traditions. And they remained spiritually blind to the light of the world standing right in front of them. 
There's one more place where Jesus calls himself the light of the world and it summarizes this section perfectly. John 12 from verse 44. Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me, that is, God the Father. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. So, Jesus comes as light into our dark world to save people from spiritual blindness so that they can turn to him and be saved from this dark world. All that leaves us with two things to consider, one short and one longer. What are we to do for ourselves and what are we to do for others? Firstly, for ourselves. What are we to do for ourselves? If you're someone who hasn't yet given your life over to Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then this, morn this meeting this morning is an open invitation to do just that, to turn from the dark life of spiritual blindness into the light of a deep, purposeful life with Jesus. Do it, please, for your own sake and for the sake of those you love. If you're already a follower of Jesus, then we are to live as disciples of Christ, as children of light. As it says in Ephesians chapter 5, reading from verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness and truth testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. So we must continually reject the empty works of darkness and embrace the fruits of the Spirit. And there are several lists of those, just to choose one, Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. These are the ways we are to live as disciples of Jesus. That's what we're to do for ourselves. <coughs> but it's more than just about ourselves, isn't it? What about other people? What is our role for them? Well, Jesus commanded us to make disciples of all nations at the end of Matthew's Gospel. We are to be witnesses to Jesus. Not eyewitnesses, of course. We weren't here 2,000 years ago but witnesses to his work in our lives as we follow him as, our, as his disciples and witnesses to the firm hope of eternal life in the glory of God. You know that. We all know that. We know that's what we are to do, right? And that's all very good and that's very positive and it's all about us, what we are to do. But let's not forget about who we are witnessing to or witnessing for. We are taking words of light and life to people who are lost in spiritual blindness in a dark world. Ultimately, they are without hope. They are living empty shadow lives. And they are destined for the horror of an eternity separated from God and all of his goodness. We mustn't judge. Because we would be the same except for the grace of God. For it's human nature to rebel against, or to try to rebel against God's authority and assert our own independence. Foolish and futile though that is. Our world is genuinely dark. We shouldn't be thinking so much about ourselves and what we are to do. Rather, we should be focused on the people living in darkness who need to hear us, to need to see our beacon of light in the darkness. We need to pray for them consistently, especially for the ones we know personally. We need to trust in the Spirit to guide us, to create opportunities to speak, to give us good words to say. 
Now, I say this as someone who finds it just as hard as anyone, uh, less equipped than most, perhaps. Yet it's what we must do. It's what Jesus commanded us disciples to do. Think what Jesus said about the people who are living in the darkness of the world. John chapter 3 from verse 19. And look, this is just a few verses after the famous John 3.16, God gave his son to save the world. Three verses later, this is what he says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. And in John 12, Jesus says this, verse 35, Jesus answered, The light, that is Jesus, will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so the darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. I guess many people living in darkness simply never consider any alternative. They think it's just how the world is. And they ignore anything they read or hear about Jesus. Others do hear, but willfully choose to remain in the darkness. They remain spiritually blind. I've quoted before from C.S. Lewis, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Many people choose to follow their dark human hearts and have nothing to do with God forever. And he allows them to make that choice. But it is into this dark world that we are bringing the message of light and hope, the message of an extraordinary gift of God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. So that's what Jesus said about the people lost in the darkness. Here's what he said about us as we take his message of good news to them. Matthew 5 from verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather up on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Sadly, too many churches, I think, underestimate what Jesus means by this. I think they have a cosy view of a lamp in the lounge room of a home, making it a pretty place of goodness, that by being Christians we will create a happier world around us and change a little bit of this world for the better. But we're not here to change the world. God will do that at the end of time. We're not here to change the world. We're here to save people from the world. Let's picture ourselves rather as a lighthouse at the entrance to a safe harbour. Think Point Lonsdale perhaps. We are a searchlight beacon, laser focused, shining out into the vast blackness of the ocean at night. We are a beacon for people to sail or swim towards for safety before they drown in the empty blackness of the ocean. That's the picture. That's the picture. Our world is a dark world. (laughs) The little puddle of light around us isn't going to change that. People have to be saved out of the darkness and it's a lighthouse beacon that is needed for that. (coughs) In Luke chapter 8, Jesus says it more strongly. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, puts it on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see its light. 
For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. That's more like a spotlight shining into the darkness, revealing the true nature of the evil done in the darkness so that people can see it for what it really is, Satan's lies. And they can make their choice. Then they have the opportunity to head towards the light if by God's grace they choose to reject the evil of the dark world and dark hearts. Do you see why I want to emphasise the darkness of the world we live in? <clears throat> for us to realise that we are a lighthouse beacon for people to head to for safety out of a vast dark ocean. When we understand that the world we live in is actually dark and people are lost in that darkness, then we will be all the more passionate to be the beacon of light they need in the darkness, to tell them the good news of Jesus that will save them if they will accept it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. We have a message of hope, the only message of hope, shining out into a lost, dark world. Let's pray. Father, help us to face the darkness of this world boldly, trusting in your mighty strength and power. Fill us with love and compassion for the people lost in the darkness, people we know, people we meet. By your Spirit, enable us to be a lighthouse beacon of safety for them, so that you may bring them into your eternal glory. Amen.